I'm also going to be doing the scripture reading, so please stand for the reading of God's word, which can be found on page 965 in the Pew Bibles. It is from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Oh, thank you, Kristen, and uh, what an encouraging testimony of God's grace and kindness uh, in our lives, and, and uh, thank you for being willing to share that. Good morning to all of you. Good morning to our regular attenders here at Calvary. Good morning to our non-regular attenders. It's good to have you with us this morning. Perhaps you're here this morning, if you're not a regular attender, with uh, one of your family members or friends, and so we're very glad uh, to have you here this morning and know that we've been praying for you. And maybe that seems a little bit weird to think that someone's praying for you, but that's what Christians do. We pray for people. And so we've been praying uh, that the Lord would be working through our congregation to shed, to spread the light and love of Christ uh, to others. And so we're glad that you are here this morning. And our text this morning is in the theme of our Advent series. Our Advent series is The Light Has Come. And our text, which has been read for us, talks about the coming of the light through the face of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to focus in on two elements of this text. I preached, actually, from this text back in August of 2022 and kind of took a little bit of a different angle on it. This morning, I want to just focus on two aspects of this text the gospel plight, and then the gospel solution. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, and most of us are here this morning as Christians, my prayer for you is that this text will be a reminder to you about the light of the gospel and what it accomplishes in your life. And if you are here as a non-Christian this morning, then my prayer for you is that this text will help you understand what the gospel is saving you from, and what the gospel is saving you for. All right, so the text has been read for us already, so we're going to just get right into it. We're going to start with the gospel plight, which shows up at the end of verse 3. And the gospel plight is this, sin perishes us. In verses 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul is defending his apostolic ministry he says that his ministry is above board. It is sincere. He refuses to engage in cunning or disgraceful or underhanded practices. And there's a lot that we could say about that and why he's saying that. But we want to focus in on this last word of verse 3. 
In verse 3, Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Perishing. The word perishing captures the heart of the plight that Paul's gospel message is intended to resolve. The Greek term that Paul uses here, perishing, is apoluminois, and it means to be ruined or to be destroyed or brought to nothing. And this is a term that Paul uses frequently throughout 1st and 2nd Corinthians to describe the problem that sin causes. Now, we can often think about the problem of sin as an external problem, like getting a really big parking ticket from God that we can't afford to pay back. So we've broken God's law, we've done something we're not supposed to do, and we've incurred, incurred guilt before God. And the problem of sin is that we have this legal debt of guilt that we can't afford to pay back. And in that framework, we can think of sin as a debt, as a thing external to us, as though God has, you know, kind of a, a record book in heaven and we have a black mark on our record book. And that's not untrue. Sin does create a legal guilt before God, and it is more than we can afford to pay back. But that's not the sum total of humanity's sin problem. In fact, the expression sin problem is not a bad way to talk about it. So if we were to say something like, oh, he's got a drinking problem, we aren't just referring to a person's bad actions, we're referring also to the consequences of those actions. The person who has a drinking problem is in some way, because of their actions, ruining or harming their life. And it's the same with sin. The problem of sin, Paul says, is that it perishes us. It's causing us to be ruined or to be destroyed or brought to nothing. And this is the message of the whole Bible as it relates to the problem of sin. The very beginning of the Bible, back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God creates the world in love. And He creates humanity in love to literally live off of God's love. We talk kind of romantically about living on love, but that was the essence of creation and humanity. We were made to live on God's love. And God's intent for humanity was that we would re receive or feed on His love, and then we would extend this love back to Himself and to others in the world that He has made. But then sin came and threw a spanner into the works and wrecked our capacity to receive and extend God's love. And our capacity for love curved back in on itself. Where we should have been receiving God's love and then extending it to others, because we have been cut off from God's love, because we have been cut off, we had to generate love from within ourselves. But our natural love within ourselves, it's, it's weak and it doesn't have the reach that God's love has. And this natural love kept moving out and then curving back in on ourselves to serve ourselves and cut off from the life-giving love of God, the human creature is not able to long survive on human love. 
We are not self-generating. We're not self-sustaining. And this is what Paul means when he says that sin is perishing us. Now, we haven't yet perished. That's good news. But we are, apart from God's work, perishing. And all the death and the war and the ruination that we see in the world around us, that we see in our own hearts, it's a visible sign that sin is causing us to perish. And this goes a long way to explaining why we can be so vexed with ourselves. So the Apostle Paul, he wrote another letter in the book of Romans, and back in chapter 7, he describes the human experience as not doing the things that we know we should do and doing the things that we know that we shouldn't do. Listen to the words he writes in Romans 7. He says, For I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So maybe Paul's words in Romans 7 resonate with you and they capture how you often feel about your life. You know you should do a good and you even want to do the good, but you don't do it. Or you know you shouldn't do that non-good and you don't even really want to do it, but you do it anyway. And it feels like something inside of you is broken. And that's because... Something is broken. That's what it means to be perishing. The difficulty of sin is not that it creates a blot on some external record book in heaven, like getting the really big unpaid parking ticket. The difficulty of sin is that it creates a blot on your soul. John Milton, in his famous Paradise Lost Maybe some of you have read it. It's a big epic poem, book-length poem about creation and creation of humanity and Satan and Satan's fall and humanity's redemption. And in Milton's Paradise Lost, he offers a description of Satan that gives us a picture of sin at its full-throated climax. One particular moment in the poem, Satan has been cast down into hell and he hell to run away from hell. And as he attempts to flee hell, this is well how Milton describes his experience. Now rolling boil in his tumultuous breast. I don't actually know what that means. I don't know what a rolling boil is, but it sounds tumultuous. So it's bad. Now rolling boil in his tumultuous breast and like a devilish engine back recoils upon himself. Horror and doubt distract his troubled thoughts. And from the bottom stirs the hell within him. For within him hell he brings. And round about him nor from hell one step no more than from himself can fly. And Satan begins to despair and he cries out, Me miserable! Which way shall I fly, infinite wrath or infinite despair? Whichever way I fly is hell. Myself am hell. And Satan has been cast down into hell, and hell has like seeped into the pores of his very being so that when he tries to flee hell, he finds that hell is in him. Not a place out there, but it's actually in him. And he 
cries out in despair, myself am hell. Now, not yet for you and I, thank God, is that the case. On this side of the land of the living, hell within us does not reach its full-throated climax. But if the cancer of sin is left unaddressed, just like cancer in the physical world, if it's left unaddressed, the hell within will consume us. And the great damnable problem of sin is not wrongs committed, but even more fundamentally, the hell that is growing within. Fly whatever way we will, there is no escape. Myself am hell. And that's the sobering destiny of all of those who are perishing. And that's the bad news side of the gospel. So before we move on to the good news side of the gospel, how does the problem of sin sit with you? Do you have a sin problem? Jesus said that he came to heal the sick, not the healthy. That he came to call sinners, not the righteous. That he came to open the eyes of the blind, not those who could already see. And the main problem that Jesus ran into in his ministry of redemption, particularly with the Pharisees who we saw last week, was that the Pharisees didn't think that they were sick or sinners, or blind. And because they refused to see the truth of their perishing condition, they cut themselves off from the grace and the redemption and the healing that Jesus was offering. So in verse 4 of our passage here in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of those who, like the Pharisees, have blinded, they're blinded to the gospel. Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We can't see the gospel until we come to terms with the fact that we can't see. We can't experience the healing power of the gospel until we come to terms with the fact that we are spiritually sick. We can't be made righteous by the gospel until we come to terms with the fact that we are unrighteous. To quote one more ancient author, this time a Roman statesman from the first century named Seneca. He was a philosopher as well, and he wrote, If you want to know why all this running away cannot help you, the answer is simply this. You are running away in your own company. The problem of sin that plagues us is within us. And we can't run away from it. We can't fly away from it because we just take it with us. So that's the bad news side of the gospel. Sin is causing us to perish. But here's the good news side of the gospel. God is recreating us through Jesus. Let's look here back in our text at verse 5. Paul says that he doesn't proclaim himself as Lord, but he proclaims Jesus as Lord. And then in verse very beginning of verse 6, he makes a reference to the Bible's creation account. So look here in verse 6. Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Well, when did God say, let light shine out of darkness? Paul is alluding back 
to the very first verses of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 3. Let me read it for us here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And Paul is saying that the same God who spoke light out of darkness in that first act of creation is once again speaking light into the darkness in this second act of recreation. And just as it was God's word that created light out of darkness in Genesis 1, so too it is God's word, capital W, the word made flesh, that creates light out of darkness in 2 Corinthians 4. And it makes sense that Paul connects the gospel's solution to the problem of perishing with the Bible's account of creation. Because where sin decreates and perishes us, God's act of redemption in Christ recreates and saves us. And note here that in verse 6, Paul links the light of Christ to the human heart. Let's look down here at the remainder of verse 6. God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The recreating light of God that shines into the problem where sin is shines into our hearts because it's in the human heart that the stranglehold of sin, the sickness of sin, is most rampant. We were created, as Jesus said, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's out of the heart that we love. But then sin wrecked the heart's capacity to love, and our lives fell into the darkness of self. But now in the recreating light of God's love, Christ has dawned. And where has Christ dawned his light? He has brought it into our hearts. And our capacity for love is reformed and recreated in Christ. What this all means is that salvation is not simply getting your record scrubbed. The only problem with sin is not out there and we just need our record cleared. Getting our cosmic parking ticket paid for. It is that, but even more so, salvation is getting a new recreated heart of love. Salvation is being recreated back into what God intended us to be all along. So in one of his other New Testament letters in Ephesians In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses the same metaphor of creation to speak about salvation. He says that being saved is being created in Christ Jesus. He says that we are God's workmanship. When God made the world, the world was the workmanship, the handiwork of God. And Paul is saying that when God recreates us, we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God recreates us in Christ Jesus for a life of good works of love. And at its core, salvation is a miracle of recreation. In salvation, God takes up the broken human creature into his hands of love. 
He cleans us off and he breathes new life into us. And then he begins day by day, patiently, to recreate us into what he intended us to be all along. At the end of our passage here in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that this recreating grace of God comes to us in the face of Jesus Christ. To know the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is to know the light and love of this recreated life. So if you're here this morning as a Christian, let me give a word of application to you. Let this passage be a reminder to you of the gospel that you have believed and received. Don't settle for a truncated version of the gospel that tells you that you are just the same as you were before you believed, except now that your record is expunged. God's love has come into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit, whom God has poured out into your heart the moment that you believed. God has expunged your record, praise God, but he has done more than expunge your record. He is beginning the work of expunging your soul. To receive the love of God is to receive the Spirit of God, is to receive the life of God, is to be reborn and recreated into who God has all along intended you to be. And kids and students, this is every bit true for you as well. When you turn to the Lord in faith, when you turned to Him to receive salvation, you didn't just receive forgiveness for your sins, but you also received His Holy Spirit to recreate your life. And the Spirit that you received was not a kid-sized or a student-sized version of the Holy Spirit. You received what we all received, the very same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Our power to love others, to make progress in moving beyond the vexing Romans 7 experience, it comes from the recreating love of God that He has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As Paul says in 3.17, just a few verses up above our passage, he says, where the recreating spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom from a life of darkness and bitterness and perpetual and defeating struggles with sin. You're not going to be made perfect in this life, but by the grace and power of God's love poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit, you can be made better. So press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of you. And if you're not a Christian this morning, then here's a word of application for you. Let this passage be a reminder to you of both a word of warning and a word of hope contained within the gospel. The gospel comes with an implicit blinking red light on the dashboard of our lives. When your check oil light comes on, in your car. Your car still works generally. You can still drive it for a while. But if you ignore the check oil light, sooner or later, your engine is going to perish. I had a friend in college. I got into his car one day and he had some black electrical tape over the dashboard. And I, I said, what? So what's the electrical tape for? He says, oh, my check oil light 
it just keeps coming on and it won't go off, so I just put some tape over it. <laughs> and uh, I don't remember how that worked out for him. But let me encourage you not to put tape over the check oil light on the dashboard of your soul. Listen, if you're content and you're happy with your life, you're happy with how you're living, you don't see any need for salvation, and you don't believe that you're perishing, well, then Christianity is not for you. Come and check back when things begin to unravel. But if you have an intuitive sense that something isn't quite right in your soul, that life is missing something, that the world around you is missing something, that things should be different. You find yourself, like Kristen shared in her testimony, just watching TV, wondering, is this all that there is to life? Is this what I do with my existence? I scroll through Facebook? Is there more to this? Is there more to me? Surely something should be different then I commend to you the recreating light and love of God in Christ. You cannot heal yourself. Fly whatever way you will. You have no power in yourself to escape the hell within, precisely because the hell that you are trying to escape is within. But you can be healed by the recreating light and love of God. Salvation is available to you this morning as a free gift. It costs you nothing more than a simple prayer of faith, a simple prayer of believing and receiving. Something as simple as, Lord, I believe the truth about my sin problem, what you say about my sin problem. I receive your free gift of forgiveness and recreation in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Turn your life over to Christ. Confess your need of him, and he will forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future, and he will take you into his hands of love and begin the sure work of restoring you into the image of God that you were always intended to be.